Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B podcast. This episode is the audio taken from our webinar, Key Tactics to Engage the Decision Maker. It's a great listen. We've got a fantastic panel of speakers, as always, and you're going to get loads out of this episode. So please enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Lead Forensics webinar. This one is called Key Tactics to Engage the Decision Maker. My name is Joe Ducaro. I'm the Brand Awareness Manager for Lead Forensics. And I'm joined today, as always, by an expert panel of speakers today. So with us, we have Toby Fellows, who is Global Head of Mid-Market Sales at Lead Forensics. Give us a wave, Toby. Hello. Uh, we have Matthias Scharper, who is founder at SDRs of Germany. Give us a wave, Matthias. Hello, guys. <laughs> uh, and we also have Hamish Stevenson, who is SaaS sales leader, leader by day, mentor of future SaaS salespeople by night. Hamish, hello. Give us a wave. How you doing? Hey, guys. Right. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, we will be using the questions function to take questions from the audience. Uh, and this can be found in the top right hand of your screen. Please send your questions in throughout the presentation and we will answer as many as we can if there is time at the end. So let's get to it. So the first point that I'd like to put to you guys is why do we need decision makers on a call? And I think we'll start with you, Hamish. Let's come to you with that one first, please. Um, I think it's left about um, having necessary decision makers on the call from the get-go. And I think it's more about um, multi-threading your approach and having the right amount of personas um, on the call. Now, like we've all been in situations before and we've sold a deal and we're trying to sell a deal and there's um, we've got um, people from all over the company. But unless you actually are solving the right issues and having the right people in the room, you're having the skeptic, you're having the executive sponsor, then your deal flow is going to really blow out of proportion. So I don't know, like do we, like, do we need the decision makers on the call? Of course, at some stage. But it's just about having the the different set of buying personas. And uh, Mattia, what are your thoughts on that one? Hmm. I think um, I'll probably, as in every webinar that I do, I'll bring in the SDR perspective a little bit more, right? Um, and when I saw the question in in the brief, I was thinking about it actually because in the beginning, when I had just started in SaaS sales, I um, had no idea what a key decision maker even is and what the, the the persona is that I should be reaching out to, right? So for me, everyone with a manager in the name was someone that is probably a key decision maker because I had no idea, right? So I was talking to like marketing managers and I was always booking meetings with marketing managers, which was quite easy to do actually. But at the same time, when we got on the call, they had no decision-making power. A lot of the times they didn't even know what they were talking about, right? And in the end, I would just be wasting my time because yes, I might get a couple of informations out of them, but then I still have to do the extra work to then actually engage the person that is gonna make the decision on this. So I think just understanding that um, who is the decision-maker is super, super, super important. And then at the same time, if you don't have the decision maker on the call, the deal is not going to go anywhere, right? Like you can always be talking about, like I remember talking to marketing managers about all of their problems. And I was like, yeah, it's so clear that you have a problem and you need our product. 
but they, they they weren't able to pull the handle and the trigger on it, right? So that just didn't go anywhere. So um, I think it's a lot of it has to do with just efficiency and also using your time wisely to spend uh, to to spend this time talking to the right people instead of just some people, right? Um, I think that's what I, what I would say to that. Yeah, so trying to sort of avoid duplicating your work and you know it's almost double handling if you like, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Like, I would even go as far as nowadays, I most of the times I go to the highest person ever, like to the CEO, for example, because I know then that will make my time so much more efficient, right? Um, I don't want to be spending all this time with people that don't, that can't take any actions. Mm, that aren't, aren't going to be too helpful to the call. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Toby, we'll come to you on that. Uh, so I'm probably with material in that, you know, I don't want to really waste too much time with too many individuals that necessarily don't have influence. So I think it depends on the type and size of company that you're selling to as to where you're probably going to get in at the, at the you know, entry level. If you're working with smaller companies, it's probably really easy to get straight in there, you know, on first attempt, whether it's through marketing channels or, or you know, or SDR. Bigger companies, you might not get to that end person that you want that ultimately going to make the decision, um, but it's agreeing kind of really where your minimum is that is viable, that's probably going to have influence, I think, to get those people in. Um, so from my perspective, at the end of the day, a deal, you know, there's a three times higher chance, in my opinion, of closing if you've got, you know, decision maker on the call. So therefore, um, you know, I'm going to want to try and achieve that the majority of the time you're not going to achieve all the time and then there's a process um but i always attempt so we know who our decision makers are we'll uh you know enrich data to try and get key people and then we'll always target them at the top level and then you you work your way down like you don't want to work your way up you're always going to go top and work your way down just more efficient for your time and so then so how would you go about prepping sort of the key stakeholders in advance then it in would it be in a similar manner to you've just described or? Yeah, so, things? yeah, I, th I think um, you, you sh everyone obviously will know the product they to and they know the individuals that they sell to or who buys their, their product. Um, and then really, you've got quite a few different channels, really. So, you know, for example, we naturally use our own product to find the business that's in the market. And then we'll use um, lots of different tools. Um, things like, uh, you know, like Cognizum, Lusher, Datanize, et cetera, companies that can then give you kind of like direct um, contacts into those into those individuals so that you've got a, the best possible chance. Um, you know, since COVID and where there's a lot of hybrid working and things like that, the office number isn't necessarily is always kind of the go-to anymore. You have to kind of look at different channels, plus then LinkedIn, plus emails, et cetera. So really we'll get our key you know personas and profiles get as much contact information for them as possible and then we'll we'll kind of then go after them that way um and um you know really we're trying to target the what you know is like the man like whoever has like either the money the authority or the need for that product and you're going to go after those who have, have influence so linkedin's great um you know sales navigator there's tons of tools and things that you can use but you know find out who you need get as much information on them as possible and then go to them direct uh, and keep working them until you get somewhere. And I suppose with the, the more information that you have on that person, you can then tailor your approach into a way that they are going to be much more likely to engage with, I suppose. Um, 
yeah, Hamish, if we we'll go back to you on the same question. So how do you how would you go about prepping key stakeholders in advance of your call? Um, your 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 personal stakeholders within house. Well, you just whenever you're attempting to get through to you know to the decisionary to make the sale, if you like. But are you talking about the stakeholders within your company or prepping stakeholders at the at the buyer? Yes, sorry, the second option. Yeah, prepping is at the buyer. Yeah. Um, I think data is your friend. Um, now, it, it, where where are we at in the sales process? Is the first call? Is this are we are we still in discovery phase? Is this pre post demo? Well, if you if you, your answer changes per per, I'd like to yeah go on. If you talk us through the whole process, if you like, we we got time. <laughs> I mean, if, if you're a, if if you're in in prospecting mode, um, I think clearly uncovering the 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 personalized problem, like the like what I, I what I coach with with all of the SDRs that I that I mentor is that picking your place within the within an industry market is your friend. Being a specialist in market, being 20% of, of every industry means you're 20% as valuable as someone who's 100% in that one industry. And by speaking to the same kind of companies over and over again on a daily basis, you're naturally going to be able to uncover a lot of information about competitors. And you're going to be able to get, gather a lot of information about the, the companies and the stakeholders of um, the people in those um, competing companies. So naturally, being able to prep with personalization, be able to figure out what the problem is at company A is probably going to have a similar similar problem at company B, and then being able to target your approach um, with those two uh, two similar processes. And then by whenever you're prepping the stakeholders of the of the buyer, you you have this information. You've got a a problem that you you don't want to make too many assumptions, but you've got a problem that probably is going to be similar, uh, and then targeting in that way. No, fantastic, thank you very much, Mattia. Anything to add on that one? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, I agree with what Hamish said a hundred percent. I think it starts it starts so much earlier, right? Like even before you reach out to a prospect, understanding what their daily life is and what their what their world looks like right because most of the time the prospects that we'd be reaching out to they're they're busy right they don't have time when I send them a message and I'm just like yes I'm Mattia have a meeting with me they don't have time for that right even though I might be a nice person and I might you know it might be a nice meeting they don't have time for that so just understanding that and making sure that you understand what's in it for them if they take a meeting with me so that they don't go out of this meeting thinking wow I'll just waste 20 minutes it was a nice chat but it doesn't get me anywhere in my business or in the goals that I'm trying to achieve so I think companies in general need to be really really clear with what is their ideal stakeholder what does their what does their life look like without your product what are the the problems that they're facing and I think I think this is so difficult because as salespeople also most of the times we have never done the job that our prospects are doing right it's super hard like I was selling he uh, marketing analytics software to head of data and I had no idea what their daily life looked like right like honestly and also it didn't interest me that much if we're being honest so I switched to selling to salespeople because at least there I know what problems they have during the sales process and in the SDR teams right so I think just giving your salespeople a clear understanding about 
the key stakeholder will then enable them to actually engage them further down the line. And then if you have that, the only thing that it comes down to is probably standing out in your prospects inbox and getting that attention if you have that value proposition ready and to go for. And then if you catch them with that value proposition, I think it would be so easy to engage them on the call because it's then actually something that's interesting to them and something that they want to solve within their business and that's that relates to them. So yeah, I think um, data, I rambled on a lot now, but um, data and understanding your prospects is probably one of the key things that you need to do before even thinking about how you're going to do your outreach at the end of the day. Uh, please don't worry about the length of your answer at all. It was absolutely perfectly fine. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, no, that's great. That's entirely why we're here. So that's absolutely fine. Um, Toby, I'm going to swing over back to you for this one. How would you how would you get a, how would you get a decision maker engaged or get your product or your call to the top of their agenda then to sort of tie back into what Matty was saying about standing out in the inboxes? How do you go about doing that sort of thing? Uh, well, I think that's there's quite a lot of levels to that. As in, you know, if you're talking about like outreach and content and things like that they're going to be engaging to them and pique their interest and i think probably hamish has probably probably covered that side of things if you're targeting them and you can get them on a call or a meeting in the first place then you've got the opportunity um but i think probably you know for the benefit of those that are listening the challenge that they probably have is well let's say i don't have the decision maker how do I get then the decision maker engaged in wanting to get involved in this process? Because at the end of the day, um, if they had the decision maker on the on the first meeting anyway, probably isn't a problem. Um, so that then gets in a bit meatier, really, because when it comes down to like why would a decision maker want to get involved in that call meeting, etc., why would it be important to then suddenly put in their agenda? Uh, and that really then kind of comes down to probably a few things. So I'd say at the end of the day, establishing a pain, like, you know, in any sales process, you need to understand what the pain is in that business, um, you know, what they want to fix. Because when you think about sales, desire to gain and a pain, pain is five times a motivator than, than gain. So really, you need to be able to establish a pain. And I'll probably cover a point or two in that. Um, then obviously, um, I suppose that's for the business. Then getting the DMs in is around obviously who and understanding what the buying processes they have, and then, then then how do you actually get them in? I mean, we could get into like probably do a whole webinar on on coaching how to do that. But so for pain, like you understand for the business, like what the problem they have, how have they tried to resolve it already? Did it work? Um, how much do they think it's cost them in the first instance? Um, what impacts it had them personally? Um, do you have a timeline to fix it? Um, so probably establishing like really key things around like what the problem is or thing they're telling you is an issue. Once you know you've got a pain, then you can go and pull in. It's easier to pull in other people. Um, but without that, you can't really influence anything. Um, but then how would you go about in getting them in, I suppose, into that process is probably then the next challenge. So, you know, from a, if I was on a, if I was in a call or, you know, meeting with somebody that wasn't a decision maker and I need to bring a decision maker in, I would understand, okay, well, it sounds like these departments would probably be utilizing X product or whatever you sell. Um, you know, is there anybody else you can think of? 
you know, typically we bring the department heads in to have their input on how they might use X product. You know, should I explain how what that meeting might look like to see if they should be invited? Um, you know, and then you know, after we've reviewed that, what would be the next steps? And then kind of do a follow-up. Um, but then I'd probably be quite, you know, honest with them, but like, look, I understand that their calendars are slammed, you know, they've asked you to to look at this product. Um, you know, we don't want to waste anyone's time, but we know, and I think you can be really honest that when a decision maker, a stakeholder isn't part of the, the process, we're actually three times more likely to then sit stall because ultimately, you know, they don't have the opportunity to see it for themselves and understand obviously firsthand what the issue is. And they don't have the answers to their questions, you know, because they're not involved and that's when they get frustrated. So, you know, if we're going to get them in, you know, how do we actually make that happen? And ask your, your stakeholder how we go about doing that and get them on your side. So I think, there's lots of different levels from very beginning first call into actually kind of um, you know later on in the process. But I think the biggest challenge that sales people or anybody that's trying to sell something finds is if they don't have them in in the first instance, how do you then pull them in? Um, because that's really challenging. So they're, they're kind of like key things, three things I'd say probably we would we'd be doing. Hamish, we'll come back to you. But that, again, how do you get them engaged or, or how do you get your product or, or call to the top of their agenda? It's so easy to say, just go for the CEO and then don't look back and then engage them because they're going to have the, they're going to be the executive sponsor. They're going to have the money. They're going to have the cash. Um, but how often is, is that actually a viable option? Like it's, uh, unless you're selling to SMBs and startups, the chance of actually getting in a, a CEO on a on a discovery call is is like next to nothing. You probably won't see them for the whole process. So I think it's being able to do the the appropriate research, use your your industry knowledge um, to target that first person. Don't just target anyone. Make sure that you're that first persona, that first piece of outreach is going out to a similar position at each company each time. And then if you've got that's that's your ICP. And if you've got that ICP ironed out, then it's going to be a much easier process for you because you're going to have your specialism. You're going to have your ICP. You're going to know exactly what questions to ask. You're going to make some assumptions, but don't actually voice them. And then use these proper leading questions to actually be able to uncover what Toby said, the pain point, because the the difference in selling to a sales manager, first line sales manager, is going to be a very different pain point to what Elon Musk is having. Like it's the the first level salesperson is probably going to be more interested about keeping their job through a pandemic or a recession, whereas Elon, you're going to be like, okay, well, instead of this is how it's going to make you ten billion dollars, this is how it's going to save you ten billion dollars. So the difference in in those two problems is monumental. And then further you go up the process to the decision maker, it's the more you just have to basically do your research and also be able to to, to write down, document your answers each time, um, report them in, in your sales tech, report them in Gong, uh, make sure you've got the recording sorted and then be able to hand that data to other people in-house, other stakeholders when you bring them on, when you bring custom success on, they know what to say. When you bring on your VP, they know what to say. Um, and through on the throughout the process. Yeah, I imagine, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, heading straight for Elon Musk and just say, hey, well, I mean, maybe we can help you buy Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might need some help with that. <laughs> might need a few, 
a few more pocket monies there. Yeah. Um, Matty, your thoughts on that one, getting to the top of their agenda? Yeah, I think, um, so, in my, I like to work with examples most of the time. So, if I'm thinking about, about what I do, right, and um, I sell SDR software to sales teams, right, and um, the key decision maker most of the time would probably be the CSO or the head of sales, right? But a lot of the times, the CSO and the head of sales actually doesn't, like they're so far away from the SDR team that they don't even understand the problems that um, the SDR team has, right? So sometimes it's very difficult to actually engage your head of the head of sales on the call because he's just so far away from what is happening on the ground. So I, a lot of the times I don't mind speaking to the SDR manager first because even though he might not be the one that's going to sign the contract, I'm actually going to be able and be able to uncover everything that is going wrong within the SDR team and why they should buy a solution like my solution, like SalesLoft. Um, and then with that, if I do that correctly and the SDR manager leaves the call and is like, fucking hell, we need to get the software to get to our growth goals this year, then he's going to champion that to the head of sales, right? And then all it takes for me is to write a quick LinkedIn message to the head of sales and be like, hey, just spoke to, I don't know, Max, your SDR manager. He was really, um, he he was um, in, of the opinion that sales love would actually help you guys to get to your growth goals, would love to get you on the call the next time as well. And then if he gets my message and the SDR manager is also championing this, then he's going to be engaged in, in, in my world, right? I think it's always, it's always difficult to generalize these things. But um, I think all it takes to engage a key stakeholder is an internal champion and a clear problem that we're solving with this, right? Because if we don't have a key, key, clear problem solving with this, and if the SDR manager that's going to work with the software is going to say, ah, I don't know if we need this, then you don't even need to talk further because then the CEO or the CSO is never going to sign the contract. So um I think it's it, it's got a lot to do with just being an expert in what you do and actually being able to uncover the problems and then use these problems to engage your your key stakeholder. So when I would sign for this, go to them with the solution straight away. Yeah. <laughs> um, Toby, I'm gonna come back to you for this next question. How do you go about handling when? Somebody's been to, you know, they're, they're asking for more time or they need to think about it. You know, they're sort of stalling a bit. How would you navigate that sort of thing? Well, you know what? I mean, I think that's the bane of anybody that either in sales or works with salespeople is controlling the, the sales process, right? I, I think forever, you know, going through trying to understand with pipeline where it's at and the process it's at and what needs to happen. So I think it actually, you know, prevention rather than cure, I think, in, in this instance, that you've got to be better earlier on in your process to, to actually understand, like, the importance uh, for timelines and things like that. So, you know, to give you, give you a quick example, um, so if you think about, like, when you're asking about pain, right, we, we mentioned about that a little bit earlier, you're establishing that, like what the pain is, you know, how much it's cost them. Um, you know, so I'm right thinking the main reason why, you know, we're talking uh, today is because hopefully we can help you with this. You know, do you have a timeline of when you, you need to be, have that resolved? 
So that might be that they're launching an SDR new team or, you know, they need the software. Like you need to establish what the issue is and when really they want to fix it. I think that's the first thing, because if it's not a big enough problem and they don't actually, it's not that important to them or they're not fussed about it, then, you know, it's going to be really difficult to try and hold that uh, opportunity and close it like when you want it to be closed. It's going to work to their timescale. So you need to understand what that is early, early on. Um, then, you know, when do you want to solve that by, et cetera? And then, you know, what typically the key steps that you'll need to go through to ultimately make a decision on something like this, given that you want it to be resolved by X. So you need to kind of have those clear time timelines and timescales. And then I'd also be, you know, establishing, because every business is different. How does your organization usually assess the value of something like, whatever your product is, or let's say forensics, et cetera, you know, in, in order to ultimately make a decision, you know, is there a criteria process case that you need to run through? The problem that you have is, is not people are necessarily thinking about, okay, I need more time to think about it. It's because the, the salesperson doesn't understand uh, the, the steps and the process that that business needs to go through to buy something. If, if it's a one, you know, mom and pop shop, one man band, you know, it's probably a very straightforward process. They've got an issue. You've solved the problem. They're happy to pay to fix that problem. If it was a bigger business, there's normally steps and process that you need to go through. It's more of an issue that you don't know what that is than the actual timeline itself. Um, you know, outside of that, then, you know, it's all about controlling that. So back to basics, right? Um, you know, never get off a call without following a follow-up meeting, uh, always referring back to the timeline. And then, you know, you've got things like incentives, et cetera, and having like key deadlines. But you've got to understand ultimately what the timeline and decision-making process is for that business for you to be able to be able to control it, to relate it back. Well, you said you needed it fixed by this, and this is how much this is costing you. Suddenly then it creates a lot greater desire for them to actually want to go and get it done like as soon as possible. Yeah, I imagine that's a, a very, uh, well, as you said, you know, <laughs> pain is a much more powerful motivator. And I suppose if you can demonstrate with it, so, so you said this, so now this is how much it's cost you. No, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Um, Hamish, same question to you. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Toby said. Um, the one part that I probably wouldn't do myself is the the too, too many pain points or the, the to, like in re, regards to the objection handling i think there's definitely a reason why there's a roadblock in the process um and i think prodding the bear in that situation has definitely got us all in trouble at some stage in a sales process before um and it tends to to leave a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth what, what i do i think it's it's all about being able to ask the right questions early in the process. It's all about multi-threading. It's bringing on the right people onto the call so that you've you've got your champion in the room. You've got your friend, you've got your ally. So when the skeptic comes in, then, and, and then the roadblock comes in, you've kind of got people battling for you behind closed doors so that even if it's a roadblock, it will come back in the future. I mean, again, not getting happy is um, for people who don't, really know what I'm talking about. It's when as a salesperson you ask the questions that that you want answers to. 
um, and you don't ask the questions that you know that are going to be negative, even if you subconsciously aren't actually doing that. Um, the I, th I think an example of that is just knowing the answer to a question before you ask that. Like I think a lot of people um, overestimate the wealth in that because if you already know the answer, then it's you're not actually being a terribly good salesperson. Like you want to actually uncover some more information. Um, and then just with all of that information, if they still don't want it, just walk away. Like it's okay to say no. Uh, it's okay to to walk away from the deal if it's if it's going to waste another ten hours next week or next month um, from your executive team jumping on um, on sales calls. Because at the end of the day, it's as salespeople, we're quite emotive people, and if we stick to one deal and and and, and let it get to us, then it's a uh, it's not going to do uh, do wonders for anyone. Matty, you seem to be nodding in agreement of that. Is, is that a fair assessment or you got anything more to add yeah. for us? Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense what Hamish said. I think from my perspective, every time someone tells me, oh, no, not today or in 10 months or whatever, I always think, okay, is it actually because now is not the right time for them or is it because they are, you know, not focusing on it and they're just trying to get rid of me as a salesperson, right? So I think that is always really, really um, important to understand because if I know that, I can then take action on that, right? Like if I have the feeling he's just trying to get rid of me and he doesn't want to prioritize this now, then I can very honestly and authentically talk to him about this and be like, hey, I have the feeling you are just pushing me away. What is the actual reason that this is not getting, like not moving forward? And then they're gonna be much more like receptive of that and actually tell me the reason. And then I can work with that, right? If they then tell me, well, it's because we still need to, I don't know, implement Salesforce before we implement something else. And I'm like, okay, fine, that is, okay, we can work with that, that is a reason, like, let's see, let's get you in front of a customer that has done both at the same time, and let's work on that problem, but as soon, as long as I don't know why there is a roadblock, and why we're not moving forward with this, there's nothing that I can authentically be doing about this, right, um, and what Hamish said of just letting a deal go as well, you know, like, Sometimes I work so hard for a deal and, and opening up an opportunity and I've prospected them for three months and we've done the disco and we've done the demo and then we just find out it's not the right time. They're not focusing on it. And then that hurts my heart because I've spent so much time in opening this business, right? But at the same time, that's just how life goes. That's how sales life is. And then I put a like a note into my calendar and I'm like, okay, that's in three months, I'm going to reach out to them and they're going to be ready. And we, they're not completely lost, right? They're just, they just moved into the future and it's an opportunity in the future. It's just not an opportunity now. So let's focus on the opportunities that are actually going to close now rather than talking about it. So, um, yeah, I think asking honest questions and really getting to, to the bottom of um, some of these time excuses um, is probably the way forward for me. Uh, did anyone have anything more to add on that? Because well, there was, a, there was a, a couple of, you know, uh, exchanging of views there. Does anyone have any more to add on that one? No, we're all happy? Amazing. Um, okay, so 
what would you recommend is the best approach to follow up on a decision? And Toby, again, I'll come back to you to start with this one. Um, well, trying to, as much as possible, understand what their processes are, because if, if you don't know, and, and we're talking about like further down the sales process, right? So if you don't ultimately know what steps they have to go through in order for them to make a decision on anything, then what you're going to do is just be as persistent as you possibly can to try and figure out what's going on, right? Until you get to a point where you feel deflated and then you kind of just let it go. Um, so you need to understand, I suppose, what their decision-making process is. What are the steps that they have to go through? Um, you know, is there illegal? Is there, you know, procurement they have to go through? Is there, um, you know, the different decision makers and finance and budgets and things like that they have involvement in? So, I think having a good grasp of that in the first instance is, um, is I think, really important because then you can then choose, I suppose, the right action to, to follow up with, because otherwise you just can come across as, I suppose, needy, um, persistent, etc. So, um, you know, I think it's fairly straightforward is understanding, you know, you generally have a, a champion, a stakeholder, you know, in, in the business that is going to sort of be there for you. You can, I think, you know, film them to understand those kind of timescales, et cetera. Um, but really, it's just it actually is very, I think, very basic. It's very straightforward in that one, know what their actual decision pro process is. So they're not stressed out, worrying, like, why hasn't it happened? What, why haven't they come back to me, et cetera? Because maybe they just have a set process they've got to go through. Um, and then, um, you know, following up and always having clear, defined um, next steps, you know, when when you're next going to get on a call, schedule it in, book it in, um, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's plenty of other things that you can kind of get into. But uh, I think the important thing is understanding what their, their buying process is as a business um, and then working to it um, uh, to then make sure that you've got clear you know, touch points throughout the process to keep you top top of mind. Absolutely, guys. We're um, we are slightly running short on time, so I'm gonna go through. Uh, we're gonna put up a poll question for you, but while we're doing that, I want you just to have a think about this final question for the sort of the key takeaways. So, could you give us three do's of engaging decision makers and three don'ts, like what to do less of? Uh, so just have a think about that. And in the meantime, uh, just like to remind everybody, this, this webinar is brought to you by Lead Forensics, which is software which, in essence, tells you who is visiting your website, along with providing you with valuable contact information so that you can close those deals. Okay. Hamish, we'll come to you first. Your top threes, do's and don'ts uh, when engaging. Um, decision maker, go for it. Take it away. For my do's, I, I kind of follows up on the on the – the, the last question about like how to how to um I guess it's the same answer um my first my first point and that's do's is the same way you'd address a follow-up. Um I'm a I'm a strong believer in um in IBM's band. Have you have you heard of that, Joe? Uh, no, talk us through it, go for it. Um so BANTS, the um it's like the acronym it's budget authority need and time frame. And it's being able to establish early on in the process where, like, like whether they've got money, um, whether they've got the authority to make a decision, whether or not there's actually a need for your platform and whether or not you can fit it in that time frame. Within that, 
the follow-ups, then you'll be able to know if someone's going on holiday, if someone's actually um, interested in the platform, if you've had every everyone on the call that you need to have on the call, and then you've got the actual authority and the need and everything to actually make a decision. Once you've got all that information, being able to do the follow-up and be able to close the deal, once you've actually got all of that, bringing back to what Toby said earlier, like are the pain points actually being addressed um, rather than, I think most deals are lost in the process rather than um, lack of product need. So it's, uh, that'd be my first point. Um, second point, be creative. Like, oh, there's so many salespeople out there and there's just so many people that just don't even bother doing the bare minimum. There is literally something on my LinkedIn profile that say, says I love link, love LinkedIn. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. Uh, it says I love NFL and love skiing. About three people in 10 years have commented on it. It's it's in my about me section. Like just someone could 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 literally send me a gif of someone skiing and then they'd get a demo. Like now I'm gonna get fifteen thousand demos. Uh, but it's it's true. Like just do something different. Bring it back to contact marketing. Like if they like hiking, if they've got a, like a mountain backdrop, send them a fifteen dollar compass. Like something like that. It is just so easy to be able to get people's um, interest. In, in having a conversation with you by doing just literally the bare minimum. Um, and that brings up to creativity. Well, that's two. Um, just um, I, like, I like to live my life by ABH, always be helping. Now, if you're a bit stagnant in the process, um, there are so many other ways to have an excuse to talk to the decision maker, like comment on their, like all of their content, like they like have conversations publicly like that. And then if there is something that they need, give them some free advice, make them a free introduction. And that means when uh, when Bush comes to travel, you're gonna um you're gonna be at the top of their mind. Now do you want do you want don'ts as well? Yeah, go for it. Fire through. Um another acronym, uh D B A D. Don't be a dick. Just <laughs> just don't be pushy ever. Like it's never gonna work in your favor um and just really just make sure that like whatever like however you're um talking to these people is uh, just the utmost of integrity um yeah don't don't uh <laughs> don't get your research wrong um i see it a lot someone someone the other day tried to sell me a um like an auto dialer and they're like hey hamish like i know that you're using this and I immediately lost um, lost interest in the process because I, I never told them I'd been using that. And apparently I was a different Hamish, which made it even worse. Like, it's just like, all right, well, you're English. Like, there's a lot of Hamish. It's like, but just don't, don't get your research wrong. Um, it's nearly as offensive as trying to send you some water skis, I suppose. <laughs> you know what? I'd, I'd love that. I'd sell, them, I'd sell them and buy some snow skis. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably it for me. I can't think of a third one. No, that's great, Hamish. Thank you I so much. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, say that again. I said I, I, I'm not going to be able to come up with three, so that's totally fine. That's fine. If we keep it in the interest of time, as well, let's keep it to to one. Then go for it. Go on, Matthias. Yes, I was going to say because um, I also need to leave at uh, five fifteen on the dot. Um, I think the only thing that you need to be focusing on is to be yourself, to be authentic, 
to be curious curious within the sales process to actually uncover the pains and never I always feel like when I started as an SDR I was thinking like all these different sales um, techniques and how to do this and how to manipulate people like that I would scrap all of that when I if I could start over again I'd scrap all of that and just be myself ask the right questions be curious not be afraid to fail sometimes and um, what I can only echo what Hamish has just said about the creativity I think we need so much more of that we need to scrap all the automation and all the bots on LinkedIn and within the e the mass emailing campaigns and just be ourselves and and create that personal experience for a buyer because I think then we also don't need to follow up that many times because we got this connection with them already. Just be a little bit more human than um, anything else. And with that, I'm going to need to say my goodbyes. Um, thank you very much, Joe. You've been a wonderful host. Um, Hamish, I see you soon. Toby, it was great to meet you. And um, have a good day. Thanks for joining Bye. us, Matilda. Thank you so much. Be more human. <laughs> and Toby, <laughs> see us home then. Let's go for just uh, one doing one day, shall we? Uh, all right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go quick. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Do's ideally try to be the right people in the first place helps identify a pain um understand the decision making process so you're not chasing your tail that's good don't don't make a decision that when they tell you it's their decision because everybody says that probably isn't um don't assume they're going to sell it for you because you know your product better than them make sure you try and get in front of those decision makers and uh i love hamish's dbad don't be a dick and harass people and sound desperate no no <laughs> shit and then it's going to help you a lot easier done there you go amazing and, and very very quick you did that as well i appreciate the the time list guys thank you so much for joining it's been a real joy chatting to you and uh yeah please join us for the next lead forensics webinar thank you so much cheers guys, cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.